Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you to recap the 47th running of the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, plus testing the fight for 33 all ahead on this week's episode. Hello, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. How are we doing? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. Good, good. Back in, back in the saddle. Yes. In the studio. Yeah, you're back after your trip to Florida. Refreshed from down Pensacola Beach. Laid the groundwork for the Pensacola Beach Grand Prix. So, you know, I did my part. <laughs> they actually have a really big race there. I forget what it's called. Someone will, will clearly remember in the, you know, reach out to us. But they have like a, a big, I don't know if it's sprint car or something like that race every year in Pensacola. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I, again, I don't know what it's called, but. They, they have a big race there every year. It's something more on the short track racing variety. Gotcha. Have not seen the track um, when we drive through Pensacola to get to Pensacola Beach, but I'll keep an eye out the next time we're down there. So speaking of uh, racetracks, the streets of Long Beach, it was, uh, again, an event I look forward to every year at Long Beach. It looks cool. It looks great on TV. Crowds were pretty good. Um, in fact, Very slightly good. above what they had in 2019 which was 187,000 for the weekend. Of course, they throw those numbers out there and there's no way to really know, but up is up, good is good. And uh, exciting weekend across practice, qualifying, and the race. And Joseph Newgarden comes away with his first Long Beach win. Also, Penske's won the first three races of the season. Last time that happened back in 2012, also did it in 2010. So it's been all Penske to start the season and uh, with that, Joseph Newgarden, I think, firmly leading the uh, championship chase. I don't know what the points are, nor do you, but I, I would no, have to, to wager that he is the points leader by a, a pretty hefty margin. Yeah, I feel like you know we're in a position right now, three races through, that we're not going to dissect the point standings, but we can start seeing trends, and we can say, okay, Joseph Newgarden definitely in position. We can say uh, Scott McLaughlin definitely in position before you know even finishing 14th last weekend. You know after his first two races, so you're beginning to see trends, and we can go you know maybe the opposite way, and we can talk Andretti Autosport, and we will, I'm sure, at length in this episode. We can also talk about McLaren and how they are having a difficult time getting both of their cars on the same weekend uh, at towards the front. So, you know, while we're not going to sit here and say so-and-so is in fourth for only 43 points out, blah, 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 we can say these guys are, are looking to be contenders once we leave Indianapolis at the end of May, and these guys are absolutely going to need some help. But, you know, why we take this stance of not dissecting the, the, the points is because because of the double points at Indianapolis is so much changes at Indianapolis. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's the most important race in the points championship. I mean, it's obviously the most important race of the season, but it's also the most important race of the points championship. We're just lucky that NBC doesn't uh, hit us over the head with points, uh, scenarios and standings and conversation quite like they do the other 16 races. But uh, we're sticking to our guns. Only have to get through, what, three more races before we'll uh, take a look at the standings? Yeah, for the record, top three separated by 15 points. Um, the the lead for Newgarden over McLaughlin is five points, blows in third. Um, that's as far as we're going to go. As far as we go. And everybody yeah. is still mathematically uh, still in contention. Nobody has been mathematically eliminated no. in terms of full-time starters uh, in the series yet. That's the, that's the most important thing at this point. 
All right, so we'll get to our three takeaways as it was a wild weekend. You know, I mentioned it, excitement all three days, Friday practice, you have Jimmy Johnson's crash, and then you find out the next morning injured his, his, his hand. Now he's got screws in his hand, and he's all set to go. He raced in the race, not that he performed well, but he was able to soldier on. And then Saturday qualifying, that bizarre ruling it makes sense you got to have a minimum six minutes of green flag time in the session uh, after the crash with Grosjean in the fast six and a couple guys went back out not that it mattered but it was very bizarre rule makes sense but the application a little weird there and uh heard of setting a new track record not that that was a surprise no especially with the speeds they were laying you know from the first practice on Friday it was a very fast weekend on track at Long Beach and then in the race itself Eh, kind of slow the first third to half, but the action really picked up late and get to our three takeaways. I think my first takeaway simply is, well, what could have been for Andretti Autosport? I, I mean, I'm sure <laughs> that's one of yours. One. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll just combine it here. I, I think for me, Herta dominated the weekend. What he led the warm up as well. Um, Grosjean and Rossi also right there. Rossi probably would have qualified higher if not for Grosjean's crash in the fast six on Saturday. But all in all, it looked great going into Sunday. Three cars in the fast six, um, right. outperforming Penske, Ganassi, McLaren, etc. But in the race, outside of Grosjean, uh, putting together a late charge and finishing second, I mean, it, it never felt like he had much of a shot outside of that one of those restarts because on the red tires, he had to make it happen and, and he tried and got side by side with Newgarden, didn't make the pass. You felt like that was it and the final few laps of the race didn't feel like he had anything. Uh, but outside of that, you know, a, a disappointment. You know, poor pit stops for Rossi and for Herta. Herta with the unforced error crashing. I mean, slow I get it. in lap, slow out lap, like that's on Herta. Losing, yeah, losing two seconds in the pits plus the, the bad lap. I mean, they had those advanced analytics with NTT on the broadcast, which was great talking about, you know, pit predictors and in lap outlap you know that kind of data that was a great addition to the broadcast and we saw that for the first time this weekend and all in all he lost what was it like three three and a half seconds yeah and then he crashes that's all it takes you know all it takes in the series before the end of the next stint and that's it so cars were fast like we expected to be fair i mean look i picked herda to win the race i almost picked grosjean i should have stuck with my initial pick and would have looked a lot better but between poor pit stops, you know, the strategy, which I don't think there was really an issue with the strategy, just it didn't work out in their favor. And then Herta with the unforced error with the crash, I get it, his tires were shot, but he had an opportunity to have a podium car. He may not have won the race, but for sure had an opportunity at a podium and it was thrown away. Yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, I really want to get into Andretti in depth later on here in this episode, but we're just taking it at face value at Long Beach. It was, you know, Grosjean, could you make a case that on on New Blacks in his final stint, he could have made a push? Uh, probably not. Um, you know, he's probably only in the conversation because of those Reds. Um, but, you know, once again, you know, Herta, as much as we praise him, and and it's not just Colton Herta; it's his entire team. It's just they they tend to push too much, 
at times. And, and Colton Herta did that. I feel like Colton Herta had a little bit of a sense of security going into Sunday after how the weekend had developed. He was the fastest throughout the weekend. And he felt, I'm sure, if he got off to a good start, which he did, uh, and he was going to be able to control that race. And once he was not in first after that pit sequence, I think he started pushing and eventually it ended up in the wall. And unfortunately, we've seen Colton Herta do that before and be in a position where he's pushing, pushing, pushing and makes a mistake. And and this was just the most recent. And so uh, from top to bottom, you know, going into, you know, a Sunday where you felt like maybe Andretti Autosport in a perfect day could sweep the podium. They just get one driver on in the top three in Romain Grosjean. And, and once again, we're left talking about what ifs with Colton Herta, Alexander Rossi. Yeah. And, and you know, with that, for Herta, it, it's the patience. And, and we've seen it at times. And you also forget that he's 22 years old. I mean, he's right. really young. It's, it's yeah. not like we're concerned that he's never going to you know, be the championship driver that we all expect him to be. It's just, these are the little things that as you develop and get better, you learn to take the results that you have in front of you. The result Sunday was probably a podium, maybe not necessarily winning the race. Now, not winning the race, I think was more due to circumstances with the the pit stops than his ability and, and the car to actually win the race. But Again, you have a podium car finish on the podium. If you get the win, great. If not, you know, the best result that there is. And that's what Scott Dixon's been so good at for so long, what Alex Pillow has become now. Right. Um, Take what the car is giving you. Correct. And the track is giving you. And, you know, something that you look at, you know, as well um, with with this whole thing is the fact that if Colton Herta has a future in Formula One, which... I feel his mind is way too much on the future as opposed to at hand. I think we 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 heard Pato Award basically say over the weekend that he's not allowing distractions anymore, whether they're outside the team, whether they're inside the team. Uh, he's basically focused on his career right now, what's going on. And I think that's not happening with Colton Herta. I think he is surrounded by a bunch of people that are talking about what's next for him instead of what's right now. And if Colton Herta can't accept a a podium car or a top five car position and instead of pushing it and making a mistake in IndyCar, what's he going to do in Formula One where you're basically slotted in, in, in you know, basically where you're going to finish? Look, right now it's Red Bull, Ferrari. More often than not, those are the are the drivers and the, the teams competing for spots one through four, one through five. And then it's down then it's mercedes and then it's you are basically slotted into you know 8 to 12 or 13 to 16 or 17 to 20 that's your apex of what you're going to accomplish in your car and those teams want a guy that's going to accept that right that's going to take that and say you know you got an eighth place car today okay that's it and if if colton herta can't drive like that in indycar um how is he going to survive Formula One? Because if he starts crashing a bunch of cars in Formula One, his stint in that series isn't going to be very long. I could insert some sort of drive to survive, <laughs> you know, pun, play on words, joke, but but I'll pass. Black Flag Matter on Twitter kind of summed it up perfectly with Herta. Colton Herta has all the talent in the world, but just can't seem to close out some races you feel should be won. Once he gets the unforced errors cleaned up, he'll be a future champion. I think that's very well said. Yeah, you know, we do forget at year 22 and you make mistakes, but you know, you look at Formula 1 and there's a lot of 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds 
getting opportunities over there and maximizing them. And I'm not going to get into a conversation on the best drivers in the world, but those guys know and understand that they have to be flawless, whether they're running in first, seventh, 14th, or 20th. They have to be flawless. And Colton Herta is far from flawless in an Indy car right now. And and if, if he carries this philosophy or this this uh, this mantra over, and th- th- it's not going to be very long that he's in Formula One, unfortunately. And for Andretti Autosport, as Nathan Brown of the Indy Star points out, he has a, a conversation with Michael Andretti talking about Rossi's contract, which there's an interesting quote we'll get to later. But the track's coming up, Barber, where Andretti has a single top four finish at that track, and they've raced at Barber since 2010, so that's saying a lot. And then IMS Road Course. They've also never won at that track. Uh, a top four. The Harvest GP races in 2020. Brickyard Weekend Race a year ago. That's the best finish. So not not a couple of tracks that they excel at coming up either. Not at all. And then uh, we'll really kind of delve deeper into the Andretti issue uh, later on uh, in this episode. My number one, I guess, you know, we, we talk about what could have been for for Andretti, let's talk about what was for Joseph Newgarden and Team Penske. Three for three to start the season uh, for Team Penske. Joseph Newgarden back-to-back. And we're sitting here entering uh, in a couple weeks the fourth race of the season of 17. And Joseph Newgarden is just one road course away from winning a million bucks. Yeah, the people-ready force for good challenge. And look, we expect it to happen in May, right? I mean, let's be yeah. honest. I mean, if... If not, well, yeah, it's May first, right? The 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 race at Barber. So his his best track, yeah. And then we go, of course, to the road course at IMS. So he's got two shots here before we even get to the five hundred, before we even remotely get close to the halfway point of the season that he could wrap up one million dollars. And you know, when you look at what could be for Joseph Newgarden, you know, not just that million dollars in sight. You know, do we talk an Indy five hundred win potentially his first? Um, you know, we're not talking points, but I think we can also throw out and say he's 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 putting himself in position to win his third title. Uh, could he do all three of those at this point? I think the way he's driving and the way Penske has started the season, I think all of those are possible. I would agree. And you have to remember how much of a turnaround this is from the start of last season where Penske struggled, didn't didn't win. Yeah, they had a lot of podiums. They led a lot of laps, but they couldn't get the race wins. What, until, was it eight races in? Yeah. Last year in 2021. And they finished the year strong. And Newgarden, he closed the season strong. Maybe not necessarily start strong. This year, he's starting really strong. And I think you have to say that he is a, a true contender, not just, you know, to win the championship, but the Indy 500 to, to win that, you know, million-dollar challenge. He is, I think, the the top driver right now in the series, if you were to rank him. Yeah, and gets his first win at Long Beach ever. And then the battle between him, him and Alex Pillow in the pit sequence was just amazing. I mean, pure, hard, fair racing. I mean, that's what you love to see, especially in the confines of a street course. And uh, he was able to get it done, led 32 laps, uh, the most laps out of anybody on the day gets the dub and um, you know Joseph Newgarden in particular but also team Penske at large getting it done willpower fourth and um, and, and Scotty down there in in 14th but you know we talk about um, addition by subtraction and team Penske three for three to start the season off is it a coincidence that they shrunk by one uh, car 
in the series. Maybe, um, maybe not. Uh, maybe there's a correlation. I don't know. Hasn't hurt him. That's for no. sure. And, you know, Will Power's been sneaky good this year as well. You know, yes. he's, he's not winning races and he's not, you know, contending for wins, but he's having a really strong start to the season. I feel like he's lurking the background and one of his best events is coming up as well with the IMS road course race. Well, yeah. And you could talk about Colton Herta being young and eventually he'll buy into that. You know, we just take what the car and the track gives us week to week. That could take a while because Will Power, I think, is finally adopting that mantra. He's taking that philosophy and saying, hey, if we got a fifth place car, it's a fifth place car. If it's a third place car, if it's a first place car, but we can only finish, you know, third or fourth or fifth, we'll take it. We take what we can get. And I think uh, Will Power's new approach is is really maximizing his potential as a long term factor in the points race. And I think Holden Herta could take that under advisement. I'm going to get to my second point, and you mentioned him just a little bit ago. Alex Pillow. Look, he's he's there. He's there every race. He he feels like he's become more Scott Dixon-like than Scott Dixon <laughs> already yeah. with his Ganassi career. And you look at the stats and the numbers are insane. IndyCar and NBC tweeting this out after the race on Sunday. Since Pillow joined Chip Ganassi Racing last year, He's been on the podium in 10 of 19 races. So more than half of his races, he's finished on the podium. 160 laps led, which is really not that high when you, you look at right, it. Because, yeah. I, I mean, guys like Newgarden, McLaughlin, I mean, they, they have races where they lead more laps than that. And then he obviously won the championship in 2021 with Ganassi. Already a strong start to this year. And he just, he's so consistent. And that points it out. And I've been very impressed by how he's backed up his title defense here early on in 2022. You know, I have, I have a theory um, as we sit talking about Alex Pillow and, and the talk about he, he, he still is not getting the credit, the attention, uh, the hype that he deserves. And I feel really, I think a lot of it is attributed to the fact that he is on a team with one of the all time greatest drivers in IndyCar history. He's in the shadow of Scott Dixon. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, no matter what he does right now, he's going to be in the shadow of Scott Dixon. And then throw in, you know, having a, a famous teammate in Jimmy Johnson as well, who gets a lot of media attention just due to his NASCAR success. So yeah. he's in, in the shadow of both of those guys, really. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, t- you know, imagine being, you know, a, a young, really good driver on the same team as Mario Andretti or AJ Foyt. Uh, you know, that's what Alex Polo is basically at this point in terms of the the best drivers this series has ever seen. So I really think, you know, maybe what does it take being a multi-time winner? Does it take winning in Indianapolis 500? I would say that 500 is a win is more important than any amount of series championships he can get. That's an argument for another sto- uh, time. But is that what's lacking for Alex Polo to get the uh the notoriety deserves, or is it going to take Scott Dixon retiring before Alex Polo elevates to that hype level? You know, I, I would say Scott Dixon retiring just because he has the name recognition among IndyCar fans. He has the fan base and the respect of everyone competing. Yeah. Not that Polo doesn't have the respect of other drivers. I don't think that's an issue, but it's more so that Dixon is just such a larger than life figure within right. the series and paddock and, and the diehard fans. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say so to casual observers, but definitely for those who follow the sport week in, week out. I mean, he is the guy. Yeah. F- fair or not. And it, it is unfair until Scott Dixon retires. Alex Pillow is more going to be known as 
Scott Dixon's teammate. Yeah. No matter what he does, barring maybe an Indianapolis 500 victory, is is that's really what it's going to be. When you talk, talk Chip Ganassi racing and you talk drivers, it's always going to be Scott Dixon first, no matter what. So, um, but he continues to to rack up the podiums and 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 he's a you know he's going to be in the thick of it throughout the season as well for the championship so uh it's just amazing and uh the fact that he's not getting the attention he deserves but quite frankly i think alex blow likes it that way i really do i, yeah, I think and- scott dixon's probably telling him hey you're lucky that nobody's pestering you all the time every time and, and this is scott dixon who you know over the years has been talked about how he's never recognized but it, within the indycar community and fans he's well known right um I think Scott Dixon would switch uh, Alex Pelot's position any day of the week in terms of of you know the media attention and all that. You could have argued Scott Dixon was in Dario's shadow when when they were yeah. teammates back yeah. in the day. Absolutely amazing how that works. But uh, uh, my number two, um, taking it out of this weekend, you know, I'll I'll bring up Jimmy. All right, I'm go take for yours. it. Um, it was not a good weekend. No, it was not. To be fair, I don't think we had. Any expectation of him having a good weekend and good, I mean, finishing top 15 seemed like a reach. I would agree. Um, I think the, and, and you and I were going back and forth. I, I thought it was way too much attention on Jimmy Johnson from the start of the weekend. I understand it was, a, it was a story after he suffered the injury, but the fact that the guy put it in the wall three times on three days, he wrecked every single day of the weekend. I just don't understand how he's still a talking point going forward, uh, at least at, in the next two road courses, because they're already getting ahead of it and say, well, you know, quick breaking zones and all that stuff and slipperiness of, of Barber. It's going to it's going to he's already raced a Barber. He's tested a Barber. Yeah. And he's raced it. The IMS road course, what, f- twice and tested there yeah, two or like, three times. <laughs> why do we keep making excuses for Jimmy Johnson? I, I don't understand. Why don't we just. Say it like it is. Jimmy Johnson is past his prime as a race car driver. He's way behind in terms of seat time in a single seater than anybody else in this field in terms of junior formulas and all that. And he's going to struggle. And the only places he's ever going to look halfway competent are ovals that he has been on multiple times before in his previous career. I would argue IMS road course, he should look competent because of all of his seat time there. Multiple tests. He's yeah. raced there twice. But we haven't, you know, th- this whole, he, he the second time around, th- that was the whole narrative last year is he's seeing all these courses the first time, right? And when he's able to come back next year, he'll have, you know, he looked worse at Long Beach this year than he did last year. Can't disagree. I mean, he didn't, you know, and so, you know, I, I'm just not seeing it. And, and I think the incessant, high, I don't want to say hype, but media attention, particularly by NBC, Put on Jimmy Johnson. I understand when he was new that you do it, but I would be shocked if there's more than a few people that are watching IndyCar right now, race to race, strictly for Jimmy Johnson at this point. Oh, a lot of listeners would say I'm I'm that person, <laughs> which is <laughs> but, not true. But. You know, th- the hype at first, I think you had a lot of Jimmy Johnson people came, and maybe they became fans, and now they're watching all the time. But I, I've I find. The level of people, and I and I, I think this is where NBC is misguided because I think they feel we need to hammer Jimmy Johnson because we have a lot of viewers that are just watching for Jimmy Johnson. I disagree at this point because if I'm a Jimmy Johnson only fan, I'm turning it off at this point because the majority of the races from when he started racing in IndyCar to now have been embarrassing, quite frankly. 
I'm not watching anymore. If I'm just, I Jimmy would Johnson say guy. NBC's going with the notion that because it's on network, we need to focus on the stories that capture the casual viewer. But I don't think you're cap- capturing yeah, the casual I, viewer anymore, Jimmy I, Johnson. I would agree. I, I don't. Th- I think it's a misguided effort. And I, I, think, I think if they're mentioning him on the broadcast because he has an in-car camera with Carvana, that's fine. Right. You know, you have to do that, and that's fine. I get it. The storyline of his injury, you know, in pre-race is worth mentioning, but outside of that, unless he's crashing on the track or something that's eventful with him on track, right? there's no need. No, there's no need. And quite frankly, I feel bad for Jimmy Johnson at this point because with every bad result, he's got to be out in front of it the entire weekend because people are incessantly talking and talking and talking to him. And there's just less and less interest from the casual fan, in my opinion, about what Jimmy Johnson is doing. It was great what he did at Texas. It was a legitimate story at Texas, what he did. But that's it. Like, and, and it's just like, it's, it, it comes back to me thinking that NBC's lazy and we can start with the pre-race show. And we can start with the storylines. We can start with the same questions they seemingly ask every driver about how aggressive they're going to be at the start and where they're at in the standings and how that affects the, how they drive. It's, it's the same vanilla questions. And um, it's it's just it's it's becoming embarrassing to watch or to watch, and I feel bad for Jimmy Johnson because I just don't see it getting much any better. I, I just never see him becoming a consistent competitor for top tens in IndyCar because he wasn't. On, well, I think he can become a consistent competitor for top tens on ovals potentially I mean, right away. Maybe, but the factor is he wasn't that at the end of his NASCAR career. And he what, what, seven titles? Yeah. In in Cup, and he was no longer a competitor consistently in Cup. And that's his bread and butter. So people are expecting him to come to IndyCar, and after a couple seasons of seasoning, he's going to become that in a discipline that he has never raced in beforehand? Did as, you have the expectation he was going to become a title contender? No, but I feel it? no, but I feel like NBC is giving him the high or or the the attention that he's supposed to become this, or that there's so many people out there that are still interested in his 21st spot finish here or his his qualifying effort here. He's always, always when we start the weekend, always P1, and we we all watch. You, know, you and I watch. He's always one of the first stories to start to start the weekend and peacock viewers are diehard indycar fans it's not the casual fan tuning in on a network nbc race i don't need reminded that jimmy johnson is at barber in the first three minutes of coverage five minutes of coverage because quite frankly they're going to talk about him and then you're going to look on the left side and you're going to have to go way down to see his times (laughs) okay so for for the record he was 20th on sunday okay see i just pulled a a number out but you know (laughs) the attrition helped for sure yeah, it helps uh, <laughs> some other people for sure yeah, as well. All I'm saying is it, it, it's it's got to stop. And I don't know if it is because I really don't think NBC thinks much out of the box whatsoever. Um, I just think they take that low-hanging fruit. They see Jimmy Johnson there. Oh, people care about Jimmy Johnson. We're going to talk about him a lot. Uh, I don't think that's the case. Roman Grosjean is the most popular driver in this series. And that's voted on. Yes. By fans. And it, and it, it, it makes sense if you go to if you went to a race last year if you go to a race this year you'll see a lot of Roman Grosjean gear hats right you know it, he is the star yeah and he doesn't get a fourth or a fifth of the coverage that Jimmy Johnson does from week to week if 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 Jimmy Johnson was voted most popular IndyCar driver then I would shut up. 
but he ain't. Could also part of it just be the broadcast crew's familiarity with NASCAR because they share, you know, the you know, cup schedule. Yeah, are they are they being Fox? told to to hype that up? You know, uh, potentially, but I think there's enough evidence elsewhere that tells me that NBC is just kind of lazy. Um, you know, I know people are going to disagree with or at least get a chuckle. And, and I know you were a little salty about Marty Snyder's comment or question to Colton Herta about leading at Nashville last year and put into the wall. Yeah. Like this. what, what was up with that? But I didn't like the question either, but it was something different. It actually, you know, I think it was an ill-advised question, but it was something out of the box. And it was, I think rooted in trying to get a reaction better or for worse out of Colton Herta. He got a something like that, which was amusing, um, <laughs> but it's not, it was not the same question. It was not the same form of questions that are built around every broadcast. And and for that, I, I liked it. He at least got a entertaining response yes. from her to out of it because he didn't expect that type of question. No. And the look on his face and the comment was, was gold. So yes. if that's what Marty was going for, then it was a success. <laughs> And with Jimmy going forward, he had surgery on the fracture in his right hand. Um, still expected to compete at the IMS test next week and at Barber. So we'll see how that impacts him, but it it definitely is not helping him after he learned the hard way to always let go of the steering wheel right before you yeah. hit the wall or hit the tires. Definitely. All right. You would we do we have a number three? You I have a three? number three. Okay. Yeah. My number three. How about Aero McLaren SP? Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, One or the uh, other. A bounce back. Now, it wasn't a complete weekend because you had Pato Ward who made an error coming out of the hairpin for what would have been a, a lock for the fast six, right? Mm-hmm. And qualifying. So he didn't qualify great, but qualified 11th, which is, you know, ahead of midfield. You can do some damage starting in 11th. Then Felix Rosenquist, another fast six performance, starting fourth. Unfortunately, the race didn't go out you know, his way. Still finished 11th. Pato, a top five. Finally, a result for him. And overall, it seems like this team, the way I would put it, they're getting their mojo back. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the, the missing piece now is to have both of their drivers uh, in a conversation in the same weekend. We've seen Felix Rosenquist put it on pole. I think we saw a different Pato Award over the weekend that maybe has uh, kind of put the outside pressures or um, you know discussion in the back burner. So hopefully it's something that, um, that entering May, McLaren can really build off of. Well, and uh, Marshall Pruitt, racer.com, even had a good article over the weekend going into the race talking about how you know, Award said, I'm trying to find my center again. You know, he's trying to get back on track you yeah. know, for the season, and, and thankfully he was able to get a result on Sunday. The allure of Formula One and being teased with, you know, FP1s and test sessions and talk and discussion is inevitably going to affect your psyche. As It's going to really, you cannot 100% commit to your task at hand when the gigantic, um, you know, opportunity that is Formula One is is lurking. And we've seen it, I think, affect Pato Award in the past, and he's trying to move past it or refocus. And I think it's currently something that Colton Herta needs to handle internally and say, look, I got to put all that stuff out of my mind and execute. For sure. All right. Uh, your third takeaway? What was my third takeaway? I think, you know, an interesting coming out of, of Long Beach is, you know, it was incredibly bumpy as it always is, but it was also incredibly fast. And, you know, do we, 
as we go forward, because there is discussion on potentially resurfacing some of that circuit, is do we keep the bumps or do we keep the the quickness? Because I don't know if they resurface it, you know, we'll have both. I don't know what the answer is. I thought this. I thought the circuit was fine. There was one bump, and yeah, it caught was it people turn five out. Or I think so. Six. It caught people out. In fact, did it not catch Herta on his crash? Yeah. And it caught a few others, you know, between practice and, and qualifying. Look, it's it's part of racing, right? There's yeah, a big right? bump at Iowa Speedway in yeah, what and turn two, it. and you just you navigate it. Yeah. I I thought the track, it being so much faster than in the past, it was exciting and. People found ways to navigate the bump, take a different line, you know, do do whatever you can to make sure it's not going to impact your lap. But I, don't make a change for the sake of making a change. Right. You know, I, I enjoy Long Beach for a lot of reasons. And you mentioned earlier in the show, but I really like there is no back of your mind thinking on worrying how the crowd's going to look or wondering, is there going to be enough people there? you know there's going to be a butt ton of people at Long Beach. And I think there's only a few races on the schedule where you're completely void of worrying how good the crowd's going to be or how bad. Yeah. Indy 500, Long Beach, Bar- uh, Barber, Barber, Road America, and Mid-Ohio. Those are the five. Yeah. yeah. As I'm thinking. Yeah. Those <laughs> basically the five. I mean, maybe St. Pete, you throw it in there. Particularly you could throw lately. that. I mean, yeah, they had a great crowd this year, but that's not but, always been the norm. I mean, all the ovals outside of Indy are terrifying. And actually, I would throw Indy most years, you know, in, unless you're hearing like we are this year, you know, in terms of sales and all that stuff, we expect a full crowd. But even I worry, you know, how is it going to look in the short shoot between three and four? That's usually kind of the last areas that get filled and all that, you know. Obviously, Texas, even Gateway the last couple of years has been concerning how Iowa's going to look. Um, yeah, like, you know, how's Toronto going to look, right? Then you get out west, Laguna Seca, there's hardly ever anybody there. How's Portland going to look? They don't have a, you know, they don't have a title sponsor, how that's going to work. You don't worry about any of that with Long Beach, right? It's 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 financed. It's a successful event. It's a well-established event. You know there's going to be a crap ton of people there, and it's just refreshing to have um, as many of those events on the schedule as possible. Unfortunately, we don't have as many as we'd like. All right, taking a look at some other notes from Long Beach over the weekend. First off, we'll start with the TV rating. Really solid. 1.055 million viewers on NBC. Um, That's a really, really good number to get over a million, especially up against the Masters. I get it. The Masters was not that competitive, but you take over a million viewers, um, especially with that kind of competition. Um, The most watched edition of the race in NBC Sports history, which is you know not saying much, um, because they've had it since what they've had it for years, but this is the first time since 2007 it's been on network. I believe right. so. That's really the the factor. 0.64 rating. Um, the last time the race was run in its usual April slot, 2019, 442,000 viewers on NBCSN. But again, you you look through what they've done on the season through three races. Uh, they're averaging 1.14 million viewers per race, highest at this point in 19 years. After Which, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, that includes streaming. So they had right. 22,000 streaming on Peacock for Long Beach, second largest streaming audience behind St. Pete this year. Which again, I think you'd expect higher streaming numbers for a season opener right. than a, another race. And then you look at some more of the details, markets uh, for IndyCar. Obviously, Indianapolis number one with the rating. 2.56, Knoxville, Tennessee, 1.5 in second. That's a surprise. 
San Diego, 1.41 in third. Fort Myers, Naples, 1.2. Charlotte, 1.15 in fifth. So Charlotte, that's Charlotte NASCAR country. Yeah. LA in sixth, 1.08. Obviously, Columbus, Ohio, another strong market for IndyCar. Tied for sixth with a 1.08. Salt Lake City, 1.04 in eighth. Dayton, Ohio in ninth at .98. Oklahoma City in tenth, .94. So you, you, you get good TV numbers. It helps that it's in LA and you have a later time slot for the East Coast. And then it still caters to those, you know, the LA market crowd and, and TV viewers. Again, you take the number. It's it's uh it's not incredible, but no. also you got over a million. Yeah, and I think, you know, against the Masters, whether it was a good or bad Masters, the fact is it's one of the most watched um, you know, golf events, if not the biggest golf event of the year in terms of watchability, and it was on exactly the same time. So well, it was a good weekend in terms of the uh, the TV number. Also, but I will say real quick, yeah. when they make a, a note that say, you know, most watched first three races in 19 years, they've all three been on network. Correct. So when's the last time that will happen? So I understand the hype and excitement, but it's kind of like, yeah, but, but we'll take it. Up is up, right? Oh, yeah. And you'll you'll definitely get all those most watched. You know, I, I think that'll continue for a while. The big key is. For the Indy 500, can you be up from last year that had a solid TV number? And then at the end of the season, you need to be up double digit percentage wise, you know, for the season average, even over last year. I mean, that, that's the goal. Just because, because of yeah, the amount races. of network races. Absolutely. They need to be up. If it's not double figures, I feel like it's a disappointment. Absolutely. Other notes from Long Beach over the weekend. Uh, first off, they. Let's see here. I can find. Oh, well, first off, the, the Marcus Erickson meme. We'll get in more into that, but that was a nice little moment. That Great NBC camera work. Perfect uh, camera work on that. Also looking at some of the other results and on who had some solid weekends. Graham Rahal moving up from 13th to 7th. Scott Dixon moving up 10 spots. Tatiana Calderon, her best finish. In her short any car career, she finished 16th. I get it. A lot of attrition. But she stays out of trouble. She stays Correct. clean, keeps it off the walls. I mean, that's... Only one lap down as well. Yeah. I mean, she's kind of doing what she's supposed to do, bringing home a complete race car and getting experience. Connor Daly in 12th. Kyle Kirkwood with a top 10, finishing in 10th. And uh, Devlin DeFrancesco, another tough weekend. And, and before the weekend, he learned that he had... That sixth place grid penalty just for that incident with Graham Rahal and Elio Castroneves at Texas. Too harsh or fair of a penalty? I feel like it's a acceptable penalty. I know it was for one specific incident, but he had a couple incidents that uh, that he was indirectly responsible for some chaos behind him. I would say if it was for all three you know, incidents that he was around, including the one he was, you know, definitely involved in and, and wrecked from and, and wrecked to others. Fair. I'd say otherwise, if it's just for that specific incident, three places would, would be fine with me. Right. Yeah. I think it was a cumulative thing. And you looked at the, the, the several, what, up to three incidents he was involved in that uh, you could say or wonder at least what he was doing. All right. Here's what I was looking for. The Lombardi trophy was with Aaron McLaren what? SP. At Long Beach, Nick Scott of the LA Rams. They're at Long Beach. Obviously, you get a lot of celebrities at Long Beach, but that's pretty cool to have that there at the track over the weekend. And 
Maybe that was the uh, you know the missing piece of getting things turned around at Arrow McLaren. Uh, the problem is they initially tagged the Chargers in the tweet Whoops. on the team account. Yeah, I think they got that fixed. Oh, man, that's a that's, wrong team. As somebody that has had to run, you know, social media accounts, stuff like that, just your heart sinks and you cannot erase it fast enough. Also note, uh, Scott McLaughlin, you know, we talked about his spin, but he had a, an eventful um, weekend with a precautionary engine change due to a suspected electrical issue. They, I think it was a header issue, but got a new engine. Everything was fine after that happened in the morning warm up on Sunday. Good uh, recovery for him. But, you know, one thing that they talked about on the broadcast that I liked was the fact that, you know, when you put a a new engine in, you like to go out and shake it down and, and you really don't, you know, dial it up to 100% right away. You kind of, with, with the inner workings of these things and the technology, you really have to kind of work your way up uh, to full power. But they had to go right away because they missed what the majority, if not all of the morning warm up because of it. So, you know, Kudos to Scott to uh, Scott McLaughlin because I think he was in a different situation than everybody else on the track on Sunday for the race with a brand new engine that had not been really uh, shaken down properly. And then a final note: mixed, uh, mixed, mixed reporting on the re- report of IndyCar Drive to Survive. You know, <laughs> behind the scenes over the weekend, Nathan Brown and Andy Starr saying, according to an IndyCar official, no active taping going on this weekend involving any sort of behind the scenes series shoulder programming. Meanwhile, Marshall Pruitt of racer.com, the racer mailbag said, I did hear media credentials for videographers were highly restricted last weekend at long beach due to ongoing filming for any cars drive to survive inspired docu series. So who knows? Well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to side with IndyCar here and say, if there was some filming going on, if there is some development going on, why would, why would you tell them? You True. know, w- you know, wouldn't it be great? And you see this a lot in, in, in you know, movies and all that stuff. Genuinely shocked. What, what if we get, you know, tomorrow they're saying, hey, we've, we've got enough footage for six episodes of this and it's coming out at the end of May. I mean, that'd be, that'd be awesome. I don't think that's you know, feasible, but I'm just saying, like, if they had something under development, why would they come out and say it? So then it's a big story. Everybody's talking about it. And then the conversation goes not why doesn't IndyCar have a Drive to Survive series? It's, will it be as good as Drive to Survive? And if it's not, are people just going to immediately declare it a failure? Which I feel, at this point, people will. Some people will. I think it's impossible to make a Drive to Survive for IndyCar in terms of the the drama. And we're even seeing the pushback from Formula One that, you know, the drama is elevated in Drive to Survive. It's, it's not grounded in realism, or at least it's reaching that point. So, um, you know, Drive to Survive in many ways has kind of maybe been a victim of its own success in trying to, to drive up the drama. Well, yeah, you, you have to do that to get people to watch. I mean, you have to outdo yourself, right? So if season three was this, you need to take season four to the next level and we have to inject some fake drama in it. By gosh, we're going to or, you know, manipulate the editing and stuff to make things, you know, a little bit more uh, contentious than they are. So uh, that's. That's the road you go down when you have a, a runaway success, even in the reality show, is we always have to find a way to do it better than the year before. All right. Well, if you agree or disagree with us, want to interact with us or learn more, you can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, subscribe to our email list so you never miss an episode or any other special announcements we make. You can find us on social media. IndyCar Podcast is our Twitter handle on Facebook. Search for us. Just like like us, New Track Record. 
And you can email us new track record podcast at gmail.com and follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, Amazon music, overcast, Castbox, wherever you find your podcasts, you can always listen in for free. Okay. Justin time for the mailbag. We have plenty to discuss this week. Not that it's a surprise. Anytime it's a race week, I feel like we have a lot of content to get to. So as we uh, head back to before the race weekend and and getting into the race weekend, after uh, Jimmy crashed in practice session number one, Hunter's Way 67, just another day for JJ on a street track, Scuba Steve 85, looks like Jimmy got a hard lesson why you get your hands clear of the wheel when going into the wall. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where uh, you do it once and you learn that lesson pretty quick. Poet Shevchenko. Regular people's favorite horror movies, The Shining, Alien, Hereditary, The Exorcist, etc. Tagging us, our favorite horror movie. And it's a screenshot of Countdown to Command, 26 minutes, 25 seconds for pre-race on Sunday. I thought that was great. I missed that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, Caleb doesn't watch most of the pre-race. I I, I watched it Sunday as I watched the warm-up session at the same time. You missed absolutely. I mean, you, you probably were reinforced with the fact that I don't need to watch this. Um, I, I still, for the life of me, and I sound like a broken record, I don't understand why we have to review the previous race. We can talk about who won, but it's it's filler. It's, it's 60, 90 seconds where it's just like, we don't have any better ideas. We're just going to fill in to remind people what happened last race. There's two camps of people watching. The people that already know and don't care about being re- reminded and the people that don't care whatsoever about what happened last race. You're not appeasing anybody when you do that. There are very few people watching and go, oh yeah, I missed that race. Remind me what happened. There's none. And then they tried to do an, a, a, a Long Beach, I don't know, it was a retrospective or something, and it just it fell flat. It was just a voiceover thing. There was no other quotes from anybody else, maybe one person, I can't remember. It was just all archived footage and archived audio. It was just... It was half-assed, let's be honest. It was just kind of thrown together. And, you know, you know, right when they announced that, oh, you know, we're going to look back, I was like, well, wow, an actual feature story in the pre-race. They're going to talk to people and they're going to, you know, really delve into deeper things. No, it wasn't. It was just glossing <laughs> over Long Beach. It's just more of the same thing in pre-race. It is what it is, and I've accepted that. And outside <laughs> of the Indy 500, I don't really feel a need to tune it. Pretty and, simple. You know, yeah, I just, uh, in this respect, I'm a glutton for punishment, apparently. All right, rate the race. Justin, how would you rate the race? I would race it, uh, race it. I would rate it an eight and a half. Wow. Yeah. You're going higher than me. Really? Good an I, eight? I'd give it a seven and a half. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you're really, really skewed based on how things end, right? As opposed Correct. to how they That's start. why I'm taking away. I, I thought the first half of the race was largely uneventful for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, a great final, what, 15, 20 laps. Yeah. But you, you didn't have, you know, I, look, if Grosjean passes Newgarden late and yeah. gets the win, yeah, this probably gets a, a nine for me. Yeah. But you didn't have that on track pass. Yes. You had some pit sequence, you know, passing where a guy comes out and then get, gets a pass. But, you know, as far as fair fight on track, we didn't really have a pass for the lead. Correct. 
No, we had a battle, you know, a couple of battles yeah. for the lead, but no real true passes for the lead. And, uh, you know, I think what helped me watching it is, you know, I was watching it a bit behind and you, you know, when I, we were pet texting back and forth, you say, oh, you know, it heats up when I tell you the rate or the, the, the lap I was on, you know, I was, you know, get ready. And then my dad said the same thing. So I was anticipating uh, what was going to happen. And I think that helped me mentally elevate this race because there was some anticipation knowing that there was some craziness coming up. And I thought it was a good race. Look, a seven and a half doesn't mean I thought it was a bad race. If I'm giving a race, you know, anything below a seven, that means I'm not entertained. I was entertained. They're just, you know, a few of my metrics were not met. <laughs> the Caleb mental metric. Yes. You know, it, it was, it was not a wild race. There was not a, a true on track pass for the lead. I get it between pit stops and guys cycling in and out and, you know, someone on cold tires versus someone on, you know, already heated up tires. Like to me, that that does not count as a true yeah. <laughs> on track pass for the lead. It's got to be a fair fight, like you said. But anyway, yeah. on rate the race, a lot of responses. Hazelnuts says eight. Jamin T14, solid eight. Sauto spoiled a possible last lap dive bomb by somebody, but overall, really enjoyable race. Uh, Van Dad of IndyCar gave it a 10. Wow. Bingles DFW gave it a six. These are all over the place, by the way. NK Harden gave it a seven. Good action up front, but not a lot of passing. Had a good mix of yellows and long green flag stints. Hunter's Way 67. Eight. Started okay, but that late battle between Joe New and Grosjean was epic. Out of view of them getting side by side at turn one and turn six. Overall, it was a great three-day weekend at the beach. You guys need to make it out here next year. Beers on me. Yeah, hey, I got to get to Long Beach. I'd love to. That is, that is kind of one of those like bucket list trips for me. Uh, P Gaynor 14, give it a nine late pass would have made it a 10. Yeah. Like I said, if, if there was a late pass, I would have rated it much higher. DC soda gave it an eight loss of point due to not seeing the whole finish play out, but that's how it breaks. Sometimes continue to be baffled at how bad and pit crews are. Yeah. We talked about that. Uh, Mike Jarrett, 33, give it a nine. Jeremy from HBG gave it an eight would have been higher, but the lack of a sweeper run during a yellow kept it down too many marbles. Uh, Autosport Lab gave it a nine. Great lace, uh, great race. The Glen Bird gave it an eight. Human Spectre one gave it an eight. Had a great race at the end with all the drama. I went Long Beach to figure out what amount of laps work best so we don't have everyone fuel saving the whole race. Correct. What's weird is I watched a couple old Long Beach races over the weekend because I'm a nerd. Yeah. And I watched 92 Long Beach. Now, granted, both of these were on the old layout. Right. But I watched 92 Long Beach and 98. And again, old layout, so completely different, but I think they ran like 105 laps in those races. Yeah. And we had 85 Sunday. Yeah. 85. I know in the past it's been as low as 80. Yeah. I think they upped it to 85 back a couple of years ago, but it's always tough because I think a, you know, they got a lot going on. So we talk about, you know, weekends need a lot going on. So if you add laps, you add time and you know, how does that work with long beaches schedule Two, I always feel like no matter what you set the laps at for a race, teams are then going to go, okay, how do we make this work with one less stop or one less stop than everybody else's? What do we, I think it, it's almost a, whatever you're going to set it at teams are going to try to make it work to give them an advantage in some way. A couple more rate the race. This from according to stitch eight went from meh to interesting in a hurry during the second half. I would agree. First half was pretty slow. Marathi Autosport gave it a seven. Howard two one one two gave it an eight. Um, hope I didn't miss any here, but there are a, a few more questions that we have out there. So, 
Uh, final result surprised you the most. Uh, you posted this poll. 62% said Herda in 23rd. Yeah, I think that was obvious choice for me. 18% said Grosjean in 2nd. 12% Daly in 12th. 8% Castro Nevis in 9th. And K. Harden says Kirkwood top 10 was a little surprising. He's shown uh, the speed at all three races, but hasn't been able to bring it home. Good to see that happen this weekend. On a related note, that check D. Francesco brought doesn't look so big <laughs> when half of it goes to fix crash, uh, crash damage. Yeah, I think there's one thing that we're seeing is Devlin Francesco did not have enough time in Indy Lights to be fully developed to be in this series right now. It's not a pace issue, which I think was no. our fear. It's just, you know, bringing the car home. Yeah, uh, which is very important. Yes. Poet Shevchenko said Calderon in 16th. Ty Dixon for most places improved. Autosport Lab uh, heard his result was expected with a smiley face. Oof. Wow. There are a few haters and some of the yeah. replies on other stuff. Uh, Vicky Lynn, 26. Didn't think anyone had anything for Colton, but I didn't count on him taking himself out with a facepalm emoji. Hunter's Way, 67. Heard of stuffing it in the wall was gut-wrenching. Did the same thing in 19, driving the King Taco car for Hardingstein Brenner Racing. That was a cool car, too. Yeah, it was. Arkel, I want to be positive, so daily for me. Uh, Human Spectre 1 says, I thought Erickson was going to get a win until he ultimately met the wall, but was impressed with all the pace that he showed. And I Am Analog said, Grosjean had a solid race. I feel bad for McLaughlin. Impressed with Calderon, too. Yeah, we kind of ran through some of the people we were impressed with. Um, okay, responses on the meme. Marcus Erickson standing by his car, and then <laughs> later they had a shot of him sitting in like a folding chair, right? Yeah, he kind of looked very Alonzo-like. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of responses on the caption this. Elena Cat 99 I'll get you next time, Gadget, next time. Mad Cat yells. <laughs> um, I can even see that clip, too, yes. the old Inspector Gadget cartoons. Fast Cars in 317 says, I knew I should have called in today. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, let's see. Continuing on. Uh, BK Hickey says, my stash of chocolate is going to melt if someone doesn't come rescue me. Husky <laughs> chocolate reference there. Pad J's uh, just sent the one that has like all the memes of like Joaquin Phoenix, you know, sitting yeah. by his lonesome. Um, that one's pretty good. Saw that cycling around on Twitter. Uh, RMS underscore Rick. I knew I should have gotten triple A. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Pad J's the one time I don't pack a, a spare tire. Oy. And the Roth said, I called for a tow truck like an hour ago. <laughs> so these are all pretty good. good I, job, I, I don't really have a clear winner out of that. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed all stuff. of them. Uh, this from the voice Bobby C. Is it too early to start boasting fellas? And he is at the top of uh, the true point standings, which is mm-hmm. the new track record. IndyCar fantasy challenge standings and the team. I'm trying to think of the name of his team because he didn't post it in the post, but uh, neither, uh, let me see. Neither of us are particularly close. We I think I'm that. 11th or something. Yeah. Neither of None of us are in the top 10. I've had two really crappy weeks and one really good week. So I am also team oval because the only time I did anything in the fantasy challenge was at Texas in terms of, uh, actual intelligence of, of picking teams. But uh, yeah, the, the only series that uh, or the only points standings that matter at this point uh, is the friends of new track record podcast standings, where is it's clutch and chill is in first great name and damn Coogan second and Micah's motors in third. That's your podium right now. Yeah. So one of my friends and one of my brothers, there you <laughs> and go. second and third trying to Lurking. trying to chase down, what is it? Clutch and chill. Yes. Great name. Yep. Great name. Absolutely. You posted this poll and 
we talked about this, uh, I think, before you posted it, but which is the most likely achievement for Joseph Newgarden this season? Four options. 29% of you said third IndyCar title. 20% force for good triple crown. 14% first Indy 500 win. But overwhelmingly, 37% said screw it, all the above. And we both agree with that, yeah. all the above. And I hope that, that Joseph Newgarden voted for that as well. <laughs> Uh, Vicky Lynn 26 uh, responding. I can hardly wait to see him win Indy, but definitely all the above is possible for sure. As soon as the next race at Barber, he can lock up one of these. That that's the craziest part. It's his it's best wild. track is next. Yep, absolutely. And then, you know, he's got the Indy road course coming up after that. And he's pretty solid there too. And then you posted this, which uh, really blew up zero races since last <laughs> Andretti Autosport screw up. And a, a couple of comments uh, first from IndyCar chick in fairness. I don't think this was a team screw up. I think Colton was on old tires and it was just an accident. And then B with a lot of ease underscore Rye 27 on Twitter. It could throw in Rossi losing three and then two spots of track position when pitting though. Yeah. You were getting at the overall weekend for everyone, not just Colton Herta. Right. Exactly. So it goes into everything. And you know, my, my overlying point and, and you know, we tweeted it out earlier as well is this series is so intensely competitive that any little screw-up on track or in the pits or in the engineering bay is going to cost you a chance at a win or championship. And quite frankly, Andretti Autosports making too many mistakes in prepping cars, too many mistakes on pit road, and too many mistakes in the cockpit of the car. And all three of those combining are taking Andretti Autosport out of being a consistent contender week in and week out on the track, Caleb. We know what they can do at Indianapolis, right? And I feel maybe this team, and I'm not saying this is wrong because uh, I believe I, I believe it's a correct approach that we're going to put more emphasis on the month of May and competing for Indy 500 championships than we do the rest of the season. And maybe not that that's not an open conversation being had at Andretti Autosport, but maybe it's man, we got to be on our game in May. That's that we got to make sure everything else. Yeah, we're it's important. You know how it is. You know, yeah, this is important, but it's really important in May. And I really feel like maybe that's the approach with Andretti Autosport because, quite frankly, this has been a recurring issue uh, for multiple seasons now. And you look over the past, you know, nine seasons since since Andretti Autosport last won a series championship. Nine years, folks. This is supposedly one of the top three teams in the series. It's been nine years since they've won a an IndyCar championship, and I think they only have three top threes in the series. Uh, yeah, Rossi, Rossi had twice, one, and then Herta. Yeah, Rossi, Rossi twice in consecutive years, and then Herta. Uh, I think it was eighteen, nineteen for Rossi, and then twenty uh, for Herta. Maybe nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Whatever. The fact is, is they've left a lot of to be desired over the course of a seventeen race season. And quite frankly, I find it hard to buy in right now that Andretti Autosport is a series championship contender with any of its drivers because of the wealth of mistakes that team makes, whether it's be engineering, crew. Or driver. And it's not because they, you know, they've improved the driver lineup overall. Yeah. One would say. I mean, not that it was bad last year, but you had guys at the tail end of their careers who weren't championship contenders by that point. They could maybe win a race here or there if the cards fell through. But you add Grosjean, you have Herda. Yeah. Rossi's been in a slump, but it's not like he's not talented. Conceivably, you have three drivers that should, should be in a conversation most races. Absolutely. And three drivers who 
you would think are a lock to finish top 10 in points. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think, you know, when they do have the op, when things go right for a weekend and Rossi's in front or towards the front or Hurt is in front or towards the front, I think they think, I have to maximize this effort. I have to, because they're like, everything's lining up. We haven't had any screw-ups in the pits. Uh, I haven't had any blow-ups with any mechanical. I have to maximize this drive because who knows when I'll get the chance again. That's the mindset that's going through the minds of Colton Herta and Alexander Rossi and and soon to be Roman Grosjean if, you know, things continue to go the way they are is oh crap, I'm actually up here. Now I have to to take advantage and then you overdrive and we see how that's affected, you know, Rossi at times and Herta. Yeah, well, in, in fact, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star had a great uh, article talking about, you know, the struggles of the team. Um, Rossi interviewed Michael Andretti interviewed and I think Rossi said it really well talking about you know the, the struggles and trying to find a way to, to get there and Rossi said um, or excuse me Michael said you start questioning am I pushing hard enough and then the harder you try the slower you go it's really weird but that's where they've been as a team I hope they're getting through that it's almost you know that's, that's just talking one about quote. with Rossi yeah and that's just one quote out of the entire story but it just seems like you know Andretti really pointing the finger towards the drivers as opposed to maybe introspectively and and we've seen we've heard about the amount of turnover they've had you know Nathan Brown went into it in his in his uh in his article and you're thinking you know is Andretti not investing enough behind the scenes in terms of crew, in terms of paying enough or, you know, enough incentive for these crew to stay around? Um, you know, are, are they not investing in enough quality people? This is a team that, in theory, with them being in the road to Indy, should be able to cultivate talent, not just with drivers, but with crew, right? As they start yeah. the road to Indy and move up, and by the time they graduate, quote-unquote, to IndyCar – they should be the team that's having the the best pit crews because they've been in the system, so to speak. Yet this is a program that continues to make mistake after mistake after mistake in pit lane, and it's mind-boggling. They've also shuffled a lot of crews around. One other quote I want to mention from the story before we move on. Uh, This from Michael Andretti. We'll just see how it goes, talking about Rossi's contract situation, but it might be better if we all just shake hands and say it's probably better if you go. I'm good friends with him, and he's over at my house all the time. I like him a lot, and I have a lot of respect for him. Very interesting quote for a team owner to be that honest. Well, I think we've we understand that on the other side. I think Rossi, any somewhat comparable deal, he'll leave Andretti. He, he won't leave Andretti if it's Dale Coyne, and that's it, in my opinion. Yeah. But if he has some hefty offers from Penske or Ganassi or McLaren or maybe even a Ray Hall then I think he's gone. One final note on the mailbag. What do you think is the cause of the struggle to get to 33 entries for the Indy 500? And we'll have more on that in a little little bit. But 60% said lack of crews. I was fascinated by that. 18% lack of chassis. 11% lack of sponsors. 11% said other couple of replies. James Joe with a bunch of numbers on Twitter. Uh, Manufacturers making it difficult for entry. Any car needs a third manufacturer ASAP. I would say that's not the issue, though, no, because so. they they're can support up to 18. 18 each. Yeah, they're willing to. There's just nobody that uh, that wants to step up. Uh, Troy L. Vaughn, from what I read, engine leases may be an issue as well. I'm sure we'll get 33. Far cry from the 60-plus entries we got back in the day. Landscape has changed so much since those days. Yes, a lot those less, aren't lot less money. Yeah. Uh, Cole, the show Bear, said, I mean, they can say cruise. It's money. It's either not worth it financially for teams or they can't find sponsors. 
And they used to find people in the stands to pit the cars. Don't tell me it's a lack of crewmen. Interesting point. You well, don't I mean, have quality that. crewmen, yeah, too. You, th- you, that's the difference. Yeah. It's not a fly-by-night operation like no. it was, you know, 50, 60, 70 not at years all. ago. And, and so, you know, I, I think with a lot, with a lot of things, you, we've talked about it before, Caleb, go buy a chassis and then watch everything else fall into place. Correct. If you want to try to rent a chassis from a team, they're not going to be as willing as they were a couple of years ago. And then a couple of uh, notes on the candidates for the 33rd entry, which we'll get to here next. Vicky Lynn 26 says, interesting. I hate to have Hunko's Hollinger racing in the 500. Just to make it 33 of them made it pretty clear from the start they don't want to do more than one car. As someone who actually wants to be there gets it worked out. Uh, fingers crossed. Time's ticking. And then Hunter's Way 67 said, RHRs and Ryan Hunter A would be the obvious and best choice if Hunko's does run a second car. I think with Hunko's, it has the equipment but doesn't want to run it. I think the easiest thing to do, and I think Marshall Pruitt alluded to this in his story on racer.com, is lease their equipment out to a team that has maybe a driver and, and, and a sponsorship deal and, you know, put that together. All right. One other note via Twitter from B Wilson underscore 27. Someone I work with has become a first time race fan due to solely watching uh, drive to survive easier said than done, but IndyCar must respond in order to get some share of new fans. If we have bumping inequals truly is a made for TV drive to survive, which is what you've been saying all along. I be, see people need to listen. And even Stefan Wilson brought that up earlier this week. And uh, we retweeted him and he, and he liked the, the post that basically we've been, we've been uh, mentioning this for quite some time. It's the only play I feel that can, that can even come close to the drama that is drive to survive. Unfortunately, we're not going to have any bumping or very little. I really feel if there's 34 start 34. And then this from Carl via email on Pareto and Hunkos. I heard a rumor of Pareto Autosport teaming up with Hunkos. Have you heard any information about this? Yeah, we checked with IndyCar Deep Throat on that, and it essentially seems like it's a money issue, which is you know kind of the fear we've had all along. Um, comes down to numbers not matching up. Uh, sponsor issue, too, with someone not willing to match a certain amount is what IndyCar Deep Throat tells us. And with that, we wrap up the mailbag and get to that article on Hunkos and the fight for 33 on racer.com Marshall Pruitt. So look at the entries. They'll run the 33rd. Hunkos says, uh, it says it looks like we might be the only option, so they'll do it, but they want to find someone else. <laughs> they don't want to do it as well. No. <laughs> they'll, they'll do it as a last resort. They'll so, do it to help the series is basically what it, what it is. And I feel that's an awkward position to put, on a team that's still trying to build itself is for 11 months out of the year, IndyCar's basically, you know, we're thinking long-term thinking about these teams health, but when it comes to the month of May, they're like, Hey, we need 33 cars. Which one of you guys is going to operate on a deficit and potentially take a devastating loss, either with equipment or funding? You know, if you don't make the race, how much money do you put in that? And then, then you're screwed basically. So I, I hope this isn't a, you know, IndyCar's not making them do it, but you know we strongly, strongly recommend you you do this, please. There, there better be some money changing hands. Absolutely, if that's the case. absolutely. And then you know, Jenna Fryer mentions it in an article that came out out just past uh, um, out of Long Beach on Monday, quoting Roger Penske and quoting Tim Sindrick that there are thirty three cars in that they have. And Team Penske is not involved in that 33rd car. So, you know, know, based on what Marshall Pruitt knows and based on Roger Penske knows, 
is different right now or maybe things that, that can't be talked about. But Roger Penske told Jenna Fryer, they're set with 33. The drivers and in, in partnerships at play, according to Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com, Stefan Wilson and Cusick Motorsports, uh, the owner Don Cusick, again, we know that one, Sebastian Savedra and AFS Racing owner Gary Peterson. He's uh, been around from time to time, supported different drivers, but for whatever reason, Savedra seems to be his go-to guy. Spencer Piggott, who's raced with Hunkos, I think that's the connection. R.C. Enerson, obviously the battle with Top Gun and who owns the chassis there. Then Ryan hunter Ray are among the known candidates. Some have strong budgets to offer, others in need of most or all of the funding, according to Pruitt. Um, then you look down. Elton Julian, he's emerged as an option to support an entry. Familiar name. Dragon Speed. Uh, racing, they ran Ben Hanley. Uh, for a couple of races in 2019, then at the 500 in 2020. They sold their car, though, to Meyer Shank Racing. That was the car that won last year's Indy 500 with Elio. Oh. They've focused on their sports car racing. I mean, they're a, an established sports car team. But Racer understands Hunko's Hollinger Racing would be willing to lease one of its Chevy Ready Delaras and the necessary equipment to Dragon Speed if the right terms can be negotiated. How about that? And then at the end, Separate from a 33rd entry, a desire to identify a 34th car and driver combination to create bumping is another known interest held by the series. Yeah, interest held by the series, which means they want to have bumping at the risk of, of you know, some of these fledgling operations entering the race. And it's basically like you're just setting them up for failure. That's what I don't understand. Just run 33. Or if you have 34 entries, just start 34. Yeah, it. It's puzzling, but Dragon Speed with a tweet earlier this week about their Indy 500 run in, in 2020, and I was like, huh, that's interesting, and now we know why. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it, it it really was one of those weird, weird things that just kind of popped up out of nowhere, and then we got some context, and that's where it was at. Um, Let's see. Penske with comments on ovals to MarshallPrudivRacer.com. This one coming out uh, not too long before we started recording here on Thursday afternoon. But uh, Penske says he'd like 15 to 18 uh, as far as the number of races to 19 is a good place. Um, They want to add ovals and do that through ovals. And Penske is firm on wanting to keep Texas on the calendar. New contract required to continue in 2023 and beyond. Also look at ticket sales. For the Indy 500, Roger says we should have well in excess of 200,000 people, probably up to 260 or 270. And all the ticket sales are in. They're using 2019 as a benchmark. Um, but they're 10% ahead of 2019 right now. So for, for ticket sales for seats. So that's positive. Nice. And then speaking of uh, ticket sales in another event, Gene Hallman, CEO of Zoom Motorsports. This is from Merrick Speed on Twitter. You mean, uh, Zoom Motorsports, they manage the Barber Motorsports Park, and they're the promoter for that race. Uh, ticket sales 30 to 35% higher now than in 2019 pre-pandemic. Goodness. The limit ticket sales because of parking availability sounds like he expects a sellout. How about that? And that was in an interview with Mark Janes on IndyCar Radio during the Long Beach race. So All very, very positive. Yes. Now if we can just get some of these uh, these events that we're a little more unsure of to have this type of growth couple other quick news and notes indy 44 uh hinch on the broadcast talking about robert wickens over the weekend it's definitely something that's quietly being worked on in the background but we'll see that's on wickens driving an indy car well driving not racing correct 
So there's a there's a clear difference between those two. And then IndyCar announced an NFT deal with Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady. They also work with Dale Jr. Uh, it'll be with IndyCar, IMS, and Team Penske. So it's like digital collectibles, kind of like highlights, I guess. But Tom Brady tweeted about it. So that's uh, that's got a legit reach. I don't then, understand then, NFTs. I, I don't either. So that's all we're going to talk about <laughs> on that. But hey, it's cool. It got Tom Brady to tweet about IndyCar, essentially. Uh, ticket sales underway for the Music City GP. That's August 5th through 7th. I actually got my tickets in the pre-sale, so I'm good to go. Hey, hey. And also Toronto tickets on sale as well. HondaIndy.com slash tickets. The link there for the Music City GP. It's just MusicCityGP.com, I believe, uh, for the ticket links there. And then the open test coming up at IMS next week. Um, it'll be the... Uh, Wednesday and Thursday of next week. So let's see, that'd be the 20th and 21st of April. Cars will run Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. This is courtesy of Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Veterans, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. ROP and refreshers, 1 to 3, full field, 3 to 6. And then Thursday, cars will run 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. full field. So that'll be both sessions on Peacock, also Indy Car Radio with coverage for that. Yeah, and forecast around 55 to 65 degrees between the two days. And hopefully it stays dry. Tweets of the week real quick. Jimmy Johnson, his tweet from Long Beach, beer me. <laughs> Townsend Bell, fragrant foul when Pagina went into the uh, the flowers by the fountain. Yeah, and then just freaking tried to speed his way out of there, which made him whole whole mess. And virtual stat man. The only person who could fix this mess is Newgarden. <laughs> With a picture of Pagina uh uh, not beach. That's not really the right word, but uh, he was dirt, stranded. dirt he, yeah. stranded in the dirt yes, and flowers, he, if you will. Yeah, he those was. are our tweets of the week. All right, random split error driver of the week time. All right, real quick, we go to 2000 for Cart and Della Pena Motorsports with Jason Bright, who got a single start, single start with the team. And Jason Bright was a retired. He's now a retired Australian racer car driver. So he was from Australia. Uh, he competed in in supercars, so Australia supercars, where we know Scott McLaughlin from, um, and uh, drove for Pro Drive Racing Australia. But um, he actually had 578 career races in supercars and won 20 races, 88 po- po- podiums. Uh, did Le Mans, I think, once. Um, but looking real quick at uh, his one race in in cart. He raced twice in U.S. Formula Ford in 2000 of St. Petersburg and Mossport, finished second in the championship. Um, and he won two races in that. And then he left Australia in 2000 to join the Indy Lights. He had five podium finishes and finished sixth in the standings. And he made his Indy car, champ car debut at the Lexmark Indy, five, Indy 300 that year. That was in the Gold Coast, Australia. So it made sense. Uh, his only race ever in cart was that one race in Australia. Well, he's had a really good career in it. Once again, I've never heard of the guy, but no, uh, he won the Bathurst 1000 back in 1998. Wow. Yeah. So, and he's had a couple podiums in that event. You mentioned Indy lights. Uh, he won a race at, at Portland in 2000. So a, a good run in his lone season in Indy lights. And he got the start good for him. And he's competing in, in a lot of stuff. Uh, but winning Bathurst, uh, 24 hour as well back in 2003. And then he won, um, in 98 in the Bathurst 1000. So very successful career 
in Australia, and he got that lone cart start. Very good. Finished 18th at that in Surfers Paradise in uh, in the year 2000 with Della Pena Motorsports. Actually, you know, had raced with Doricott Racing and Indy Lights that season and won that race that you mentioned, Caleb, in Portland, and then uh, raced at home in Surfers Paradise, finished 18th. But uh, that's Jason Bright. One start, one and done in the 2000 kart season this week's random split era driver of the week. And I'd love for Australia to come back. It, yes. it felt like we were so close, but it wouldn't have mattered anyway because the pandemic happened. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully uh, they could get it back, though, in the next couple of years. Well, for Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Atch. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we will discuss the open test at IMS. It, it'll feel like May, even though it'll still be April. That's next week on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.